Law enforcement suicides are at an all-time high right now. One of the causes is poor leadership within the law enforcement profession. Nick, the host of the Roll Call Room podcast, has written a book, Police Mental Barricade, A Survivor's Guide to Poor Law Enforcement Leadership. This book is a raw and powerful look into suicide and how poor leadership decisions contribute to law enforcement suicides. Buy the book now at mentalhealthbarricade.com and stop the stigma. The issues discussed on the Roll Call Room podcast do not reflect the opinions of any specific agency. Any characters discussed on this show may be fictional for comedic value unless you're a shitbag Steve. This podcast is rated explicit and listener discretion is advised. There's a fight right around the corner just waiting for you. And you better learn how to fight. Still going for it. Still going for it. You gotta get up every morning fighting, clawing, scratching. You gotta beat depression. You gotta beat anxiety. You gotta beat the naysayers. You gotta beat that little voice in your head telling you you're not good enough. Get him, get him, get him, get him, get him. When I think about fighting, I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about situations. I'm talking about circumstances. I'm talking about opportunities. But sometimes you have to fight for it. Come on, life, let's fight. Let's go. Come on, job, let's go. Come on, career, let's go. I'm going to go to work. That dream is not going to sit there and wait for you to come and get it. You got to chase it. Like a man presents, you gotta go get it. But to win fights, you gotta have stamina. You gotta be ready to fight and bounce back. Punch and counter punch. Jab and jab back. Let me tell you something. Life is a series of fights. The worst thing you can do is run away from your fights. Because if life is a series of fights and we run away, you just ran away from your life. We gotta fight. We gotta fight. We can't lay down. When you lay down, you get ran over. When you about to fight, you know a fight's coming, your adrenaline begins to pump, your heart begins to race, your mind gets right and say, look, I'm not going to just fight, I'm going to win this battle, and sucker, you're going down. Some of you guys out there fighting for your life, why? Because the doctor told you you have cancer. You better not feel sorry for yourself. You better not lay down and quit. You better get up and fight, because a happy spirit does a body good like your hands up. When you come over the pressure, you raise your arm like a chair. When you overcome bankruptcy, you raise your arm like a chair. When you come over divorce, you raise okay? your arms and victory. Motherfucker, get that. Sometimes in life, you get caught with a good one. You didn't see the force coming. You didn't see cheating coming. You didn't see being fired coming. You got sucker punched. Oh, I've been sucker punched before, but that doesn't mean I can't stop fighting. We gotta get up, baby. When you get sucker punched, get up. When you get hit in the gut, get up. 
Shot fired, shot fired, troop down. You gotta learn how to fight one battle at a time. One war at a time. Because you might not win every fight, you gotta win the war. Room podcast that pissed off shitbag Steve Commanders and cost my daddy his job, and then pissed them off yet again with his number one book, Mental Health Barricade, on Amazon. And now your host, my uncle Mike, and best-selling author, my daddy. Fuck you, Commanders. Up your ass. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Roll Call Room podcast. My name is Nick. I am one of your hosts. With me uh, is my special, special co-host. I am super excited. Uh, Alexander Hamilton is with me. Yeah. Hey, that's a great musical. I just watched that musical. That's a great musical. Yeah. My kids love that. Oh, I loved it. My kids actually got to see it on Broadway. Oh, no shit. I didn't get to go with them. But in all seriousness, folks, it's William Young. The reason why I joke is because for the first, like, I don't know, two months of us knowing each other. No, this is the first time you've gotten my name right today. This very, this uh, moment right here. Uh, no, it's, I haven't written down on my computer <laughs> and it's going to stay here forever because, uh, one, I have unmute Mike, thanks to you, uh, because, uh, yep, there's yours. There's mine. My, uh, Will is showing it to us. Um, so Will turned me on to this program that I use for, um, my lives now and it's a tricky program and, and you have to remind yourself to unmute your mic, which you would tend to think would be an easy reminder, but it is not, folks. There's a lot of there's a lot of buttons. Like if you saw this mixer that I'm working with over here and what Bill is working with over there, it's fucking it's a lot of shit. All right. We got a lot of shit to push and we gotta stay funny for you people. Okay. We do this for you. So um please continue to listen to me, please. Um so uh Will does his own show. Will do you want me to call you Bill or Will? Which one? Bill's fine. Yeah. Okay. So Bill does his show every Saturday um, at 10 p.m. Eastern. Uh, what is that? Nine your Martian time? Yeah, nine nine p.m. Nine p.m. Central Standard Time. Yeah, I, I would think the East Coast is. I've been to the East Coast. I've been to Boston. Uh, it was it was uh, great food, but it did feel like being a little bit like on an alien planet. Plus, I'm I'm not a uh, well, I don't want to isolate anybody, but I'm a I'm a Denver Bronco fan, oh. diehard. Dude. And uh, so that's no enemy territory, man. Yeah, no teams. We don't. No, you don't do teams. No, not on, dude. That's like a, that's like a no no on a podcast. You don't talk about politics and you don't talk about sports unless you're a politics or sports podcast. 
And if you folks haven't figured it out now when 80 episodes, we never talk about either one of those because I don't want you to abandon us. Um, but I'm just the, I'm just the, the, he's just the guest steps out. To, yeah. yeah. He's a replacement mom. Like he's just, he's just filling the sheets for a little bit. Daddy's right. lonely. Daddy's lonely. <laughs> I'm Jody. I'm Jody. Jody. <laughs> so, so Bill does a show every Saturday. Um, I had the pleasure of being on his show, uh, which was super cool. Uh, Saturday night synopsis. That's great. You got it right. Yes. Um, <laughs> uh, so, and the, and there's a couple of reasons why uh, I wanted uh, Bill to be a guest co-host. One, real fun dude. I really like talking to him. Him and I text message each other a lot. Uh, we did PodFest together, uh, which was super cool, which we're going to have to do another one. Those of you who don't know what PodFest is, is, we got like six podcasts together and we talked about mental health and it was really, really awesome. Uh, real big success too. So we definitely got to do it again. Uh, but what I like is, is that Bill talks about the correction side of things, which I am unfamiliar with. Uh, my wife is in corrections and uh, I see the stress that it, that it takes. But the problem that I, that I have is, is that my career, my 20 year law enforcement career has always been uh, hook them and book them and then roll the fuck out. And then you guys on the other side have the 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 tough job, which is is that you have to watch them and maintain them and uh, feed them and give them medical care and things that we don't think about in the law enforcement side. And corrections really takes a backseat when it comes to mental health, suicide, um, those kind of things. So um, it's good to have that perspective. That's why I wanted to have you on there. Um, and I appreciate you coming on, man. I appreciate you having me, man. Nobody, very rarely do people even acknowledge that corrections exist. And especially in the law enforcement community, uh, on my side of the fence, I always feel like, you know, you guys are out there uh, and people are recognizing the difficult job you guys do. And then, like you said, you you take these people off the street, you drop them off with us, and then I get to spend the next 10 months, 10 years, whatever with them. And, and, and then nobody thinks about that. They think that when you, when you go out and you guys arrest that murderer or that, that serial rapist that you throw, they throw them in jail and then that person becomes a nice person and never gives anybody any trouble. But it's, it, that's, you know, not the case at all. So PodFest was awesome. I was, it was an honor to represent the corrections community. I met a lot of really cool people on there and, uh, and it just broadens our, you know, the, the reach and the audience and the, and the, you know, the information out there that, that people need to get. Yeah, I agree, man. Like, um, uh, corrections, uh, dispatchers. We had, I think it was Ricardo. Right? Yeah. Yeah. R Ricardo was awesome, man. I really liked him. Um, I got to have him on the show, you know, and, 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 and again, dispatchers, you don't think about them, but for me, one of my worst moments in corrections was when I was working in the control room and I had to listen to and watch some of my coworkers get, I mean, they were in a fight for their life and we couldn't get help in there because the door was jammed. And, oh. and so I'm listening to them screaming and begging for help on the other side and I can see it. And then I got officers on this side that are yelling at me to let them in the door and I couldn't do anything about it. And so when he started talking about not having that closure and, and, and not knowing how the call ends, man, it was, I, I just, this much of me knew what he was talking about and I could kind of relate a little bit and, and yeah, and I just never thought about that, but that's, that's real, that's serious shit, you know? Yeah. yeah. The dispatchers, um, I'm having a dispatcher come on our show pretty soon, uh, from my former jurisdiction. She no longer works 
at that jurisdiction. And she actually saved my ass a couple of times. She was the, the angel on the airwaves, mm-hmm. basically saved my life quite a few times during fights for my life. And, um, I always made it a habit whenever, like I would get into a fight with a suspect or something was high alert. Like, you know, this because you've been in it a long time. You can tell the stress level in your coworker's voice. You know when right. shit is about is bad, and when shit is like critical. Right. And dispatchers know that they they deal with you day in and day out, even when you catch an attitude with them. And um, you know, I would always make it a point to call up to dispatch and after a scene was over and go, "Hey, this is what happened. Let me tell you," and give them that closure. And I don't think a lot of officers think about that. They think that dispatchers, once they dispatch the call or the job, whatever way that you interpret it, um, the dispatchers are like, fuck it, it's over. I don't have to deal with it no more. No, they're they're there concerned for you. They want to know that you're going to be okay. And a lot of times until they hear you go, you know, unit 314 on my way to booking, they can go, okay, I know 314 is okay. Right. Um, but more, th- more than anything, I wanted to talk to you especially now with mental health being a big uh, issue right now in law enforcement in general, I think corrections, people don't really understand the mental stressors or spouses don't understand the mental stressors um, that you guys go through, like what you bring home. Um, You've been on for quite a while, right? Yeah, 16 years, yeah. Jeez, man. Um, you had a year on me, man. Um, you know, what are the triggers that you, you like you personally, when you're outside of work, what are some of the triggers that kind of trigger some of the things that you see or experience inside? Uh, you know, if my neighbor's smiling and happy and breathing, it pisses me off. That's one of my triggers, right? Any, in fact, any, yeah, anybody walking, any, the sun coming up at all, it's, it pisses me off everything. Thank you for doing that. (laughs) (laughs) No, no. uh, um, One of the ones that has come up recently is there is a, uh, some, and I don't even know if it's on the radio anymore, some stupid pop song. um, And I think it's by some guy named Juice World or something, but there's a, right before the hook comes in, there's a little chirp Mm -hmm. and it sounds exactly like my radio dying. And, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, when you're, when you're in a housing unit, when you're by yourself isolated and your only lifeline to your help is that radio, mm-hmm. when that radio starts chirping, you panic. You're like, okay, I got to get another radio battery in here. Can somebody help me? And depending on what's going on, that could be quite a long time. And so I'll be riding in the car with my family. It's a beautiful Sunday afternoon and we're going, we're going shopping, whatever it is. And I'll hear that song. And when I hear that chirp, man, my stomach tightens up. Yeah, my, I, I start to breathe kind of heavy. I mean, it's it's it, uh, and I'm not there anymore. I'm not in the car anymore. I'm at work. I, you know, I'm needing a battery. The, you know, the smells come back, um, you know, all, all of that. And it, and it it there's a lot of things that do that. There one of one of my my just kind of side effects. And one of the things I write about in my in my book that I have out is um Cut, just cutting my hair. I cut, I keep my hair short, kind of like you, and and I and I buzz it. And we had a we had an inmate a while back. He was a he was a spree killer. They called him. So he he gunned down like four people in a matter of two or three days. And we had him in our facility for a long time. And every Saturday night, I had to take him to go get his hair cut. 
And I would watch as as he would the barber would cut his hair with the clippers and they would talk and nothing ever happened. Right. During any of those exchanges, he was a super polite inmate to staff, you know, never gave us any trouble. Uh, But after those uh, haircuts, when I would go to cut my hair, I would find myself thinking about him, thinking about the crimes, thinking about, um, you know, the, the adrenaline and the anxiety of dealing with this guy. And, uh, it would get to the point where I, sometimes I couldn't cut my hair and I would let it grow. And I would, you know, I'd say, I'm just tired or I'm just being lazy or whatever. And then I would have to like psych myself up like, okay, I'm going to, I'm good today. I'm going to cut my hair. And and then I'd cut my hair and, and I, it sounds stupid. I know, but I would cut my hair and then I'd, I'd be done and I'd be like, you know what? I did it. I didn't even think about him. And then I'd be like, son of a bitch. I just yeah. thought of him. You yeah. know what I mean? And so it's, it's, it's little things like that. And, and nothing has ever really like happened, happened to me. I mean, I've been, a, I, I've had a couple inmates go after me and I've, you know, I've seen a lot of crazy shit, but nothing that anybody who like the average Joe out in the public would be like, oh, so you've never been stabbed, but you have these problems or you've never like whatever, you know, and, and, and so that, that's kind of one of the ways that, that corrections and, and what I talk about kind of sneak up on you because inside that environment, those, those little things that you always watch out for, and I'm sure it's the same on the street, you know, when you walk, I can't imagine, uh, walking up to a car, pulling over a car in the middle of the night, occupied four times, you're, you're out by yourself. I mean, you got to just be through the roof with your adrenaline. And that's how it is when we're walking a housing unit and you got and you know, five guys are back in room seven and you got to go figure it out. What's going on back there. And, and you're just like, but over time we kind of, we, we kind of learned to harness that. Mm-hmm. The problem is we take that shit out of the facility with us. And so when we're home and, and, and it could be a loud noise, it could be something as silly as that song, but those feelings all come rushing back to us. Yeah. Yeah. And I would imagine like, I never thought of the sound stuff, like the battery dying for our non-law enforcement uh, folks that listen to the show. It's a very distinctive uh, sound, and and I know exactly what you're talking about. It does bring a sense of panic. Uh, I've been on traffic stops where I'm in the middle of talking to the talking to the violator, and and that battery chirp goes off, and you're like, "Fuck, right, shit! If this breaks bad, man," because you don't know how long. You really don't know how long um, that battery is going to last. Like, right. You're just kind of like, fuck, please just hold on. Just please hold. And you know what? Motorola, you motherfuckers probably have like 15 minutes, like reserve or whatever, but you guys don't tell us that shit. Right, right. Us, it's, you know, it's instant. Um, you know, I, I I can only imagine that certain, or certain smells and certain sounds definitely trigger. Um, some, some, some PTSD of being in a housing unit. Um, it was never the route that I ever wanted to go in. And I recently, just before I left my agency, I went through peer support training and they took us into the jail and they brought us in this housing unit. Dude, I, I almost panicked. I felt like claustrophobic. I was like, I was like, all right, I got it. I got it. We're, we can, we can go now. We can go. It's the worst it be, being in there by yourself. When that door shuts behind you for the very first time, and you want to talk about your asshole puckering up, man. It's like, holy crap, I'm in here by myself. Yeah. With 64 guys. And um, and it's it. It's just me. And I've got the keys 
Jesus. If they want something, you know, I mean, there was just a riot uh, and it was in, uh, I'd have to look and see what state it was in, but uh, saw that video. Yeah, they had the keys that the officers had the keys. They were cutting corners because they were short staffed and inmates took over almost the whole facility, uh, you know, just in just in, just one sucker punch, man. It, we're all just one sucker punch away from being a hostage. It's 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 crazy, dude. Yeah. And, you know, let me, let, let's talk about that for a second. Um, not not agency specific. I know law enforcement as a whole right now with, with the current climate and everything, we can't recruit um, ice cubes for a freezer right now. Right. I just made that term up. That's really good. It is I'm good. Gonna, I'll write that one down. <laughs> freezer. Fuck, that's good. <laughs> well, you want to get in on that copyright? You and I? We I can make sure. You yeah, good. let's do it. No, I you like know? it. Do you? I, I, I shirt like it or hat like it. I've listened to a few of your shows and I think you've come up with better stuff. So, but I mean, this is, this is, this is good, you know? Yeah. So, so we basically, we basically can't get, um, a hooker to buy condoms. So nice. Uh, better. And, and really, yeah. But I mean, do you want one that buys condoms? Uh, yeah. If you're going that route, do you really? Uh, if I want to live past eight years, you're not getting your money's worth. Well, you're going to get love blisters. I can tell you that. That's what they got cream for. You'll be okay. Uh, I don't uh, know how they do it on the East coast. Um, but, uh, yeah, in, in the middle of the country, uh, we're, we're a little weird down here. Dude, our hookers are clean, right? (laughs) Not as clean as Vegas hookers, but our, our hookers are classy. Ever since back page has been shut down, (laughs) it has gone downhill. Well, everybody's out of work right now. And so, so you have a different, different clientele of people that want to apply. Right. So it's like, it's like I'm out of work. My, my job is shut down because of coronavirus. Do I go work corrections or do I work the streets? And you know, a lot of people are going the streets. Well, and that's, that's where my question is. So for law enforcement, one, we're losing people hand over fist right now. We're losing seasoned people that are eligible for retirement, but typically would say, you know what, let me do another three years I'll vest out a little bit more. I get a little bit more of a pension. But now, because politics are being interjected more than ever, they're leaving. They're just like, because I did my 20, I did my 25. Fuck it. I'm out of here. Plus, we're getting people that have just joined under five years that are like, fuck this. For this much money, fuck this. Are you seeing that with corrections? Do you see that being a direction that corrections is going to have the same issue that, um, you know, police is having out on the street, which is a real bad recruitment issue or retention issue for that matter. Yeah. I mean, the, here's the thing, man. Nobody grows up and says they want to be a corrections officer, right? They're not playing corrections officers and convicts when they grow up. They're just, they're just not. It, usually they kind of find their way there kind of just by happenstance. And so, uh, you know, nobody thinks of that anyways. And then people get to the profession. A lot of them come and say, I want to be a cop. And they get there and they're locked in with these guys and they're like, Mm-mm, don't want to do that. I'm going to go be a cop. Uh, but yeah, right now working, have you seen Saving Private Ryan? Oh God, yeah. Great oh. movie. You know, the beginning in the beach where they, they, they're running through the beach and people are getting blasted apart and like six of them make it to the hill. Yeah. That's, that's what the correctional profession is right now. The, our, our, we're bleeding out. There's bodies in pieces on the beaches and there's only at the end of the day, it seems like when I look around in my facility, it's the same 25 people that I've worked with for 16 years. People at the top are retiring. People underneath us aren't staying. And it's still us just carrying that burden. I mean, we we have been on a constant hiring binge for two years. 
and uh, we're still uh, crazy, so, crazy with mandatory overtime. It's just nuts. It's like it's it hasn't even made a difference. Yeah, and I, I don't. <clears throat> that's kind of interesting to hear because that's on the East Coast. We're experiencing that a lot, like uh, forced overtime, recruitment drives up the wazoo. Mm-hmm. Um, I know in my jurisdiction, we have them work the jail first before they go to the academy. That's a great idea. Yeah. Well, they get deputized and they usually work in the jail two to six months before they go to the academy. It's a great idea. They'll carry a gun off duty. Um, they're almost just like civilianized, but they're deputized. But um, And then they go to the academy. Now, here's what my former jurisdiction, the city that I worked in, is doing. They're making uh, new people sign a two-year commitment. And if you don't fulfill that two-year commitment, the city comes after you for the academy money. <laughs> 20 grand. Wow. That's insane. Like, I don't know how, how you how you retain people or how you recruit people when you say to them, hey, here's this job. You have no option but to like it or else you owe us 20 grand. Right, right, right. I don't under, I don't understand that. Like it's it's such a hard it's such a hard th- I mean, what do you do? I mean, you can't you can't force people to work in law enforcement and corrections. You can't, and it's not, it's not a glamorous job, especially corrections. It's never been glamorous, right? You say, Hey, you want to come work with us? Potential get stabbed, mandatory overtime. You're never going to make your kids birthdays and you don't get discount coffee like the cops do. I mean, it's, it's just, it's, it's terrible. It's a terrible sell right now. And you can't, and you can't leave. Like when I, when I, when I left my agency or when I resigned from my agency, um, I had an opportunity to go work for the sheriff's department in the jail and I turned it down mostly because I knew that I wasn't capable of doing that job. I always know what my limitations are and I knew that that was not something that I can do or I couldn't commit myself to do that for 20 years. The second thing is, is I like being a road dog. I like being able to dictate, you know, if I want to go get something to eat, I just go get something to eat. Um, you know, I like the freedom of having my office inside of my cruiser, being able to dictate what happens. The idea of not being allowed to leave scared the shit out of me because you really an inmate with work release, right? Like you literally are in there and then you get to go home for a couple of days and then you have to come back. Like my, my, my sister-in-law asked me probably, I don't know, probably four years ago. Um, she, she didn't, she thought I carried a gun and I'm like, no, I don't, I don't carry a gun. I have a set of keys and a radio. That's what I have. And I'm locked in with, like you said, I can't even go to the bathroom if I need to go to the bathroom. I have to call and wait for relief. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, I eat my lunch in front of, in front of the population. Um, if I get a chance to get a lunch break, a lot of times we don't, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it, I hate to say it, man, but I, I, listen, I love the job. I love it because I love the 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 challenge. I love communicating with that love that group of uh, people that nobody else wants to deal with. Uh, but there's days I wake up, man, and say if I didn't have 16 years in, I don't know, you know. Yeah. So yeah, well, you well that leads me into my next thing is is you have somebody that's hmm, I don't know 23, 24 years old. They come to you and they say, "Hey, do you do you recommend me getting into this profession?" What would your answer be? I would. I mean, I would tell him yes because ultimately, 
but I would be honest with him. And that's why I'm not a a recruiter or an FTO or in the training department anymore. I'm like, you should be. (laughs) I I would say yes, but here's the deal. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a great career. It's a noble career. It's a challenging career. You get an opportunity to change people's lives, man, for the better. It's, it's, it's so fantastic. So rewarding. However, it's, it's some bullshit too. I mean, you are, you are going to work overtime. I just did a video not too long ago on like, cause everybody's like, good oh, things you should expect if you're going to work corrections. I'm like, these, these people are fucking stupid. These are the things that you should as- expect. Number one, you're going to work overtime. You're going to miss anniversaries and birthdays and holidays and Christmases. And if you're, and if you're a new person coming in and think you're going to get day shift with weekends off, there's something wrong with you. You know, it's just not going to happen. You got to pay your dues, right? I mean, you work in a 24 hour, seven day a week facility. You know, and, and, and it, you know, expect the disrespect from inmates and from officers. I mean, there's it, it, I would lay it out for him, Nick, and I would tell him, look, man, this is this is going this is going to be difficult. Right. But at the end of the day, if you don't bring in heroin, if you don't sleep with inmates and you show up and work, you're going to have a job. I mean, that's yeah. that's the beauty of it. But it comes with a little bit of price tag. Fam- family price tag. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it, and you don't realize it. And that's the thing. That's what I'm trying to do is, is they tell us how to protect ourselves from getting punched in the face. They tell us how to, you know, hold our hands up so we don't get knife slashed and all this stuff. But they don't tell us that, hey, uh, Bill, when you do CPR on a dead guy in the shower, you're going to see that guy in your kitchen at 2 a.m. when you're sneaking a bowl of cereal in the middle of the night. You know, it, they, they don't tell you that because you have to be so professional at work with these people that, you just don't want to be that you're going to start yelling at your teenage son for not taking out the trash. I mean, they don't, they don't tell you those things and, and, and you don't realize them until, until your, your wife sets you down. Hopefully like my wife set me down and said, you're no good with people anymore. You are different. Some people just pack up and leave, you know, but my wife at least said, you know what, I'm, I'm going to give you a heads up and let you know, you know, and then I had to look at it and say, you're, you're right. But yeah, that, that it's, there's a couple different levels here, man. The, the job, mentally and emotionally will affect you. And then if you don't catch it, will affect your family. I mean, that's all there is to it. Yeah. I'd have to agree with you. I did a couple of shows on like preparing family members for the profession that you're about to get into. You know, we don't really prepare family for the ride along that they're going to be on. Like, um, I'm, I fully agree with you. Like I can't even tell you how many countless times I would scream at my kids or, or my wife or something and take it out on them about having a bad day. And I mean, I was a sergeant for seven years, man. And, and, you know, I had to pay the pot, play the politics game a lot. And, um, you know, I was just very different at work and then I would come home and then I would just take it out on them because like, you know, I have to play politics at work. I don't have to do that shit at home. Right. Right. You know? And, um, now that I'm out of it, now I'm, now I'm definitely paying for it. Like now I've had like a lot of self-reflection, a lot of, you know, um, a lot of like, I think I talked about this on PodFest. I don't know if I did or not, but all through my law enforcement career, I've seen some bad shit. I've seen, you know, I've seen murders. I've seen the worst of the worst, you know? Um, and watch the guy burn to death alive. I mean, I've, I've seen some tough, tough shit. Nothing ever bothered me, man. I can, I can, the one, the one where the guy burned to death alive was a tow truck driver that got stuck. Um, his 
his car that he was towing, he didn't tie it down correctly. He fell asleep, slammed into the back of a tractor trailer. The car that he was towing pushed forward, trapped him in the cab. I'm telling the guy he's going to get out. The car, I'll never forget this because every Dodge Durango that I see, which was the car that he was towing, every Dodge Durango that I see, an older model, uh, brings me right back to that. And flatbed uh, tow trucks. And uh, it catches fire, the Durango. And I'm like, listen, we're going to get you out of here. We're going to get you out of here. And the guy's like, you know, screaming. And and ultimately, he burnt to death alive, screaming for me, which I went home that night, Bill, and I was fine, man. I just went right to bed, you know, because I had seen so much shit. Now that I'm out of it, every single night, it goes without its clockwork. Wake up at three three thirty in the morning from from a nightmare about a scene that I saw, like what you said. Mm-hmm. You know, the the lady that jumped from the fifteenth story and landed, you know, on her feet, but then cracked her head open. All these horrible things. Now I see. So when I see the suicide rate for retirees, I now understand why is because you're now processing it all. Now you're out of it. Now you're like, fuck. Right. You push it down and you're like, I can't deal with that shit right now. I got to get ready for my shift tomorrow. I got to go in ready. And, and I just can't have that shit on my head. So you just put it out. And I think for people coming into this profession, people have to understand that the real PTSD really doesn't come until after you leave the job. And for family members, these are the things that we deal with that they don't really... I don't think they really know about, and it's all a shame on us because we don't say it. We're just like, you you shouldn't know this stuff. You know? No, we're trying to protect him. I, I have a similar, I have a unique set of circumstances because before I worked in corrections, I worked in the funeral business. So I picked up bodies for the coroner's office for funeral homes and I embalmed them and delivered them. So when, when, when you're telling a story about a person who's died in a fire, after you left that scene, I was then the guy that came behind you, grabbed that guy very, you know, and, and, and I was, you know, when you're talking, you know, uh, I mean, I've held a human head in my hand in more times that, you know what I mean? And, mm-hmm. and I asked my buddy the other day, I, he was like, well, how many bodies have you actually seen? I said, well, how many bodies would fuck you up? And he's mm-hmm. like, I don't know, three or four. I'm like, I've seen like 3000, man. And, and I, so, so that's why I know like exactly what you're saying. I haven't, I haven't picked up a body like that. I've seen, uh, I, I've had some deaths in the jail, but I haven't picked up a body like that in, well, 16 years. And now is when I look back on that stuff. And now is when all those ghosts are coming back to haunt me. Right. Because I've been removed from that. And, and, and so that's why I try to tell these guys, I said, look right now when you're running and gunning and, and you don't have time to process it, I know that none of this makes sense to you, but when you slow down, even if it's transferring from, you know, an officer who's working SAG all the time and they're fighting every day to then they get promoted to supervisor and they're not fighting every day or they got normal day shift hours or something and they have time to think. Yeah. Like you said, that Dodge Durango, any, anything you, you, the, the fun thing about triggers is you don't know what's going to cause it. No. And all of a sudden it's there and you're like incapacitated and it takes you a while to figure out why, you know, why am I like this? You know, um, yeah, it, it, it's serious deal. I, um, you know, we talk about that scene in particular, the tow truck one, um, went out to dinner, 
went to this uh, Brazilian um, Brazilian place, brand new Brazilian place. Um, walked in there, and uh, the smell. I had to leave. I was like, <clears throat> I was like, I gotta, I, I can't eat here, right? Because it smelled like that, like, and I've been, I've been out since April twentieth, and um, this happened like maybe a couple of months, like maybe just like during before COVID when they started shutting down all the restaurants, which fucking sucked. Yeah, uh, you know, and you know what pissed me off, Nick, is your is is there's people that are going to be listening to this that that. Are, are they're going to have a reaction. Their eyes are going to water. They're going to be like, I know that smell. Yeah. And then there's people out there like my neighbor who, uh, when all this thing, you know, the civil unrest and all the shit's happening and they're like, yeah, you know, the police need to do this. I'm like, you know what? If you've never smelled a fucking burnt body, if you've never had to restrain somebody, if you've never been the person running into the fight instead of running away from it, then, then stop talking. Yeah. And, 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 and that makes me, that makes me so angry because they don't understand just you talking about it. Nick uh, is taking me back to a call I did where I had to pull this guy out of his, uh, his truck. He burned himself alive in his barn. He was, he was, here's the thing. He thought he'd sit in the back of his pickup truck. The back of his pickup truck had five gallon buckets in it. And so they all melted. And so when I had to pull him out of the truck, mm -hmm. half of him stayed in the truck because he was in the cooled off plastic. Yep. So we had to chop the plastic to pull out the pieces to give it to the corner, you know. I don't understand. People are like, I, 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 like civilian friends or people that I talk to. I'm like, you have, you have no idea what it's like to work. Like what they show you on TV and on the movies is nothing compared. Like a dead body does not look like what it looks like on TV. Right. Um, I, I. You know, it's funny that you said when you had that conversation about like with your friend where you were like, how many bodies would it take to fuck you up? I told this story one time uh, to a civilian friend of mine and I was like, uh, just nonchalantly, I was like, I was working midnights. It was like 3.30 in the morning. It was a slow night. And all of a sudden a call came through. Guy says that uh, he just killed his wife. Go to the apartment. Me and this female officer, we show up at the apartment building at 3.30 in the morning, bro. So you could hear the crickets outside. Right, right. And go there, and there's this guy sitting on, it was a tall skyrise apartment building, and this guy's sitting on the ground, like sitting on the curb, smoking a cigarette. I take my flashlight, and I put the flashlight on, on him, and I see his hands are covered in blood. And I'm like, hey, what's up, bud? And what's, what's going on, man? And he's like, uh, so let me just finish my cigarette, and then you guys can take me. And I was like, whoa, dude, I have no idea what the fuck is going on. Like, and then now you're thinking to yourself, do I Mirandize him? Do I not Miranda? Like, what what legality? Right. Is shit. Is it is it bullshit? You just don't know. Right. And, um, you know, then you just start casual conversation. You're like, bro, let's just start from the beginning. Let's start from the from the start. What happened? And he's like. Apartment 512. Uh, I killed her. And I was like, let me stop you right there, bud. I'm gonna read you this card. <laughs> and then, and right. then we're talk so do that right so then he tells us again and uh i look at the female officer and i go rock paper scissors she goes i'm not, i'm not going up there and i'm like <laughs> i'm like cool awesome and i was i said to him i go is the door open or or what and he's like he goes yeah yeah doors open get up to the fifth floor apartment door is like covered in blood so i push the door open and 
I always tell rookies, whenever I train rookies, I always told them the apartment is always at the, it's the last apartment at the end of the hall. And every room that you search in that apartment for a dead body is always going to be the last room. It's just Murphy's law. It's always the top floor or at the end of the hallway or the last room. And sure as shit, last room in the bedroom is her on the ground with her head beat open with a club from the car. You remember the old clubs that you used to put across the street? Right, 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 yeah. This motherfucker went old school and fucking used the fucking... See, the that's cl- the problem. Nobody who bought the club actually used it for what it was supposed to be. Oh. And, oh, and, I, and from experience, I've used that club to beat a lot of things. Not cr- humans. <laughs> but... See, this is what's wrong with us. This is what's wrong with us. And people don't people don't understand. It, the, I think when you tell a story, people are focused on, oh, my God, he's going to go in that room with the dead body. But for, <laughs> but but the mind fuck is this. The mind fuck is rolling up to a guy who's smoking a cigarette, who nonchalantly tells you that he just murdered his wife. That's the and then being like, oh, hey, cool. OK, dude. Uh, so what else is going on? You know, it, having those like like in corrections. I talk to murderers. I, I I sit down with a guy who who molest who raped his five year old niece. Okay, and he he told me he he sat there. He had this whole story, and and he told me that it was uh, her idea that she was begging for it, that she convinced him to do it just one time, and and that's probably one of the worst memories that I have working this profession is just a conversation with a guy who's just casually talking about raping his niece. I mean, it's like, and then I get to serve him breakfast. I get to see if he's got clean blankets. I get to see, protect him from the other inmates. That's the hard part about working my job. The fighting's not the hard part. The fighting is what they train you for. The hard part is when you listen to that guy sing a lullaby, Mm -hmm. when you're getting ready to go home, and it's the same song that your wife is singing your kids when they go to bed. Oh, good. That's the mind fuck. Yeah. Well, listen, we're gonna take a uh, we're gonna take a quick break, and then we are going to come back with Bill. All right, folks. We'll be right back. I hear the train a coming. It's rolling around the bend, and I ain't seen the sunshine since I don't know when. I'm stuck in Folsom Prison, and time keeps dragging on. Hey folks, Nick from the Roll Call Room Podcast. If you're thinking about buying a house, selling a house, or anything in between, I'd like to introduce you to a great friend of mine, Michelle Merritt. Michelle is a licensed realtor and a former law enforcement officer who just happens to be my old academy partner. After medically recovering from her on-duty injury, she now looks out for her first responder family by walking them step-by-step through the real estate process, all the way through to settlement and beyond. Working with Pearson Smith Realty in Ashburn, Michelle serves clients all over Virginia. First responder incentives are listed on her website at soldwithmerit, that's M-E-R-R-I-T-T.com. Tell Michelle that Nick from the Roll Call Room sent you, and you'll receive a credit of up to $500 on your home inspection. Trust me, folks, Michelle is the way to go.
All right, folks, we are back from Woo! the king. Was <laughs> uh, dancing to the jailhouse rock. With me still is uh, William Young. He is still holding on. Um, so we were uh, we were talking about like you know fucked up scenes and stuff like that, and uh, we were talking about the mind fuck from like folks that listen to that last story or more, like. No, but this guy's walking this officer walking <laughs> in this so for me and, and this is where the sick part comes in like at the time i didn't think it was sick but for me i was intrigued because i had already mirandized him and he was clearly waving miranda he had given so much details for me my fascination with criminology and crime scenes you generally in homicides go to a scene and then have to figure out what happened so to get it firsthand, when I walked in there and you see the blood splatter on the on the ceiling and you see, uh, you know, th- just brain and stuff like that. And you're like, fuck, that shit is legit. Like you can see where, you know, each stroke of the hit on the head resulted in this blood pattern, the splatter pattern. And you and you look at that stuff and you're like, that's pretty fucking cool shit. Now that I'm out of it. Now I'm like, that's some sick shit. Because if you've never seen brain outside of the head, it is not. It is fucking weird, but cool looking. It's well, you got- know, I, I I told you I used to embalm people. I used to I used to help embalm, and so if if you I'll go one step. If you've never had brain between your fingers. And, and, and it's like chewed bubble gum. And, and, and so when I'm sitting on my porch and I'm not talking, I'm not engaging in the conversation, mm-hmm. that's what's bouncing around in my head. It's not, it's not the difficult coworker that you dealt with today. I don't give a fuck about that story. I'm thinking about holding brains between my finger. That's what I'm trying to work through. Okay. So if you guys can just give me a minute, yeah. let me figure it out. Well, I got, but you know what? We're going to talk about brain for a second. So I was a brand new rookie. I had just gotten cut loose. It was like four thirty, five o'clock in the morning. We were just about to get off. Midnight shift got off at six and some guy got locked out. He went to the bar, got drunk, got locked out of his apartment, right? Mm. This dude decides to Spider-Man up the wall in the parking garage, loses his balance, of course. And lands headfirst on the ground, cracking his skull open, brain, little bit of brain matter on the ground. Medics come, they take him. He's pronounced dead at the hospital. Sure. I'm a rookie. So what's the shittiest job that you get? You per, you protect that area, the impact, until we could figure out if did somebody throw him off the balcony? Did he jump? Was it suicide? So I'm sitting there. I've been up all fucking night, right? So now we hear it's past six o'clock when I'm supposed to go home. It's like 7.30 in the morning, eight o'clock in the morning. The birds are out, okay? Mm-hmm. My only job is to sit here, wait. There's like a little patch of blood with a little brain matter on the floor and some of his hair because when he hit the ground, he kind of skid. So it left, <laughs> it basically scalped him, Okay. I swear to God, Bill, this is the truest story in the world. Okay. I'm sitting there. I'm getting pissed off because now I'm getting tired and I got to come back to work that same night. 
this bird out of nowhere. Stop it. I wait. Comes out of nowhere like a fucking movie, lands on the fucking spot, grabs the brain matter, and flies off with it. That's not a chain of evidence, man. Bro, <laughs> so the detective, this, this detective had like 25, 30 years on, the typical crusty detective. Right. He comes on scene and he's like, uh, where did that piece of brain go? And I go, the bird so ate it. <laughs> you're not going to fucking, you're not going to believe this. And he goes, try me. And I said, this bird came down and grabbed it and it's gone. And he was like, are you shitting me? And I'm like, no. He goes, you know, you have to put that in the report. I go, how the fuck am I going to articulate that? Right. And I did, bro. I wish I had a copy of that police report because it's hilarious. It's like, oh, I'd love to see it. A bird. Uh, dark brown in color. There you go. Just in case somebody else finds the bird. Like you can't call it a raven because if it wasn't a raven, then it's not true. Yeah, yeah, I love it. Very good. As one of it my swooped down, engulfed you know, civilians that hear that story, they're going to be like, "That's fucking disgusting." Yeah, you're you're going to lose. You're going to get. It. I don't know if you get hate mail or not, but maybe I don't know. I think the people that listen to your show are probably sick. Oh, dude, there's something wrong with them. My civilian listeners are sicker than my law enforcement listeners. Um, they, uh, the president of our fan club, Cami, uh, she's going to love that she's getting a shout out. She comes up with some of the sick questions when we do our question game. Um, they're live PD fans when live PD, okay. live PD got canceled. I loved live PD. That was my, that was coming, my weekend thing. It's coming back. It's coming back. I don't know if it is. I think Fox is going to buy it. I don't know if I'm going to watch it. Why? Because they were so, yeah, they were so pro, it was pro law enforcement. And and as a correction officer, I shouldn't even give a shit because they don't even, they had like one shitty series called Jail 10 years ago. But I loved it. I loved, what I did is I get on, do you get on Twitter when you watch it? No. You have to to get on Twitter because when the people are arrested or they're dealing with the people, people just tweet the most horrendous, nasty, crazy things. Really? Hilarious. It's hilarious. See, See, now I'm mad that I didn't because- I try and cut down my social media stuff. I try. It's don't hard. do that, dude. It's hard. I no, can't. you need to ingest all of it. It's it's oh, it's dude. beautiful. It, it's the source of a lot of. <laughs> it's, just, it's not good. Like it's filthy. And then you know, you know, your when you when you put your book out. When did your book come out? Uh, April of uh, twenty last year, twenty nineteen. And the name of the book is. It's uh, when home becomes a housing unit. And where can people buy it? Uh, it's on Amazon. You can go to Amazon and and uh, type it in there. E-copy? No e-copy. Just paperback copy on this one. Uh, my next one will have e-copy and, uh, and paperback. Audio? Uh, not yet. I don't know. Should I do an audio book? Yes, you should. And um, we'll talk offline because I did my audio book. And um, the guy who did my audio book, I'm just waiting for Audible to finally fucking approve it. Does he have a British accent? No, and I thought about doing British accent. You know what I'd love? I'd love Christopher Walken to do my book. You're not. Don't. Do, Why? Don't make me do. Don't make. Do you me. do Christopher Walken? Hello. Do him. Hey. Do him. Hello. I'm the unit. <laughs> too much noise. <laughs> the door. Dining. I'm down here. <laughs> my salad. I can't concentrate. 
please. That's I've awesome. Toilet paper twice. You're very dirty. I'm gonna Get- ask that you stop. There you go. I'm gonna put uh, audio when homie comes a housing unit audiobook read by Nick doing Christopher Walken. I then walked in the housing unit. <laughs> it smelled. <laughs> Someone had taken a shit. Who else do you do? Who else do you do? I do Bill Clinton. Do him. Hey, my name is Bill. I did not go on Epstein's Island. <laughs> they were all of age at the time. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. I try, man. You know, uh, you know, it's hit or miss. Uh, my Christopher Walken is, uh, gets funnier if I drink more. So, you know, maybe when I do your audio book, yeah, you're. Look at, look at this. Damn, that's a big one. Yeah. Thank that's you. your ritual, though, after you do your show. Right. But I figured I should not be all the way sober when I did yours. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. Um, so, so you're working on another book. I am. In fact, I am editing. Uh, I've gone through this week. I'm off this week. So I'm, I've gone through back over all the chapters. I've sent it off to the editor. Oof. And uh, yeah, oof. And um, I felt like I had to explain like, look, I'm not like Charles Dickens or Stephen King or anything. I'm like a degenerate corrections officer. Oof, yeah. And um, and yeah, it's done, man. I feel great. And uh, I feel amazing when you're done with it and you send it off. It, it's it it is amazing and it's scary because when when you write when you write your own and you know this Nick when you put your story when you put your heart and soul on the pages you're it's not just like you made up some fictional sci-fi bullshit with dragons and swords and sent it out into the world this is like my life and if and and and, and not only my life your life but I'm sure there's a thousand police officers that can relate to everything that you say in your book. And, and so that's a lot of responsibility when you send something like that out into the world and, and you're going to, and, and you're touching a lot of people's lives. So, and, and that's what I told, that's why I tell people, this is not, this is not just something I made up. This is not, you know, this is, I've been researching and, and living this for, for 16 years, you know? So. Yeah. And, and um, backstory, when I did your show, I had not released my book yet and i had not even sent i had not even sent my book to the editor yet i think i was still two chapters short of finishing my book and when um when we had talked about coming on the show i said let me send you i think i sent you chapter one yeah that's all you that's all you sent me chapter one oh, right and it was great it was fantastic you were the first person to ever see chapter one. Oh, it was thank you i appreciate it man that was prior to editing and everything man and and uh those of you that um chapter one and i wrote chapter one to really smack you in the face right from the beginning of the book which was this is no bullshit this is a real life story right here and um let me just let me just interrupt you, Nick, because I want to say this. I'm sure everybody that's going to be listening to this has already bought a copy of your book. But for the three people that haven't, <laughs> if, if if you're looking for if you're looking for statistics, if you're looking for some jackass with a PhD in a lab coat who has studied the law enforcement profession from afar, then this is not the book for you. But if you want to write a book that's ri- if you want to read a book that's written by somebody who has been on that traffic stop, who has been shoulder to shoulder with his brothers and sisters fighting, who has actually lived through this profession, mm. then 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 you got to get it because and, and that's the thing, man, and that's why your book is so important because I at least as correctional officers, we are very cynical people, and and I don't care what some 
doctor says. I mean, it's good information, but it, you need somebody to take that information and say, okay, hey, guys, this is why this is relevant to this profession. And that's what I try to do. I go to these things and I listen and I read these books and then I say, okay, my people aren't going to listen to this. They don't right. give a shit. So. Right. So let me tell you that what this guy is saying is the reason that I'm screaming at my kid for not taking out the trash or the reason I'm yelling at my wife for, for asking me what color I want to paint the bathroom. And then I give it to him like that. And that's why that's why your book's important, man. And 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 uh, yeah, I, I look forward to getting I'm going to actually I was on the website and I was going to I was going to get the ultimate fan pack <laughs> uh, because uh, because I because I like it. And I want it. And uh, it, I want that hat. And uh, and the, well, yeah, the ultimate fan pack also could now comes with a pair of my boxers worn for a weekend in a Ziploc bag. Well, do you sign them? Absolutely. Were you playing any sports, any high impact sports? Um, my spin class that I have just started. Nice. I, I moist. Then I <laughs> yuck. That's a terrible word, but I uh, I definitely want it now. I wanted it before, but now I crave it. Well, well, going back to the book, I will tell you the one thing that I did not expect, um, and you probably get the same the same reaction. And if you don't, I'm going to tell you that. Um, from experience, I know your book has been passed around the 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 jail from my jurisdiction. Um, oh, so my it's wife, like my it's like my high school girlfriend. Oh my god! Oh, I'm sorry. My wife has passed it around. It's it's a it's actually a really good uh, read. Everybody really loves it. But what I did not expect from my from my book was, I guess I should have expected it because the the whole roll call room podcast has been about mental health, about people going to get help, people saying, "Hey, I'm not all right." But what I did not expect was the amount of people that have emailed me or have Facebook messaged or Instagram messaged me and said, dude, I am on the brink. I am on the edge. And I'm reading this and I'm starting to see that it's not just my command staff that's the problem. Like this is this is nationwide. This is the shit that's going on. And when people talk about law enforcement suicides, I don't think that they're really thinking about that. Um Poor leadership has a huge impact in your mental health because I loved my job until I started encountering just fucking clowns for for command staff um, all the way up to the tippy top to the number one. And, um, you know, I'm not afraid to say it anymore because I'm, I'm not in it. Like, and I don't plan plan on going back, um, not unless somebody wants to hire me, um, but uh, <laughs> But they'll be lining up after this one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Google my name. That'll put right, it in. Right. Uh, but uh, but yeah, and, and I think people f relate the same way to your your first book, uh, which is, is that a lot of corrections officers think that what they're going through and their triggers and their PTSD and stuff like that. I think that they think that they're the only ones going through that. And it is not, it doesn't matter what patch you're wearing. It's the same shit. It doesn't matter how big your housing unit is. It doesn't matter. It's the same shit that you're. Well, doing. I'll tell you that, that actually in corrections, it is, um, correctional officers are two times more likely to kill themselves than, than police officers. And, uh, I, I have that study in my book. I actually learned how to type a, a reference today. I cite my source, um, but, uh, learn how to do that. It, it's, uh, it's terrible, but, um, 
our and it's because our job satisfaction, at, at least for police, and maybe not in the last few weeks, but there are little old ladies that need help crossing the street. There are little kids that you know want to wave flags uh, as you drive by you're in your cruiser and stuff. And I'm not saying being a cop is all roses and everything like that, but our population of people that we deal with, the city that we work inside of, there's none of that. There is no, very, very, very rarely does somebody come up and say, hey, young, thanks for thanks for helping me out, man. Thanks for what you said to me really mattered. Most of the time it's like, yeah, fuck you, get out of here, you know? And there is, so there's no job satisfaction. And then when you turn to the your the public, not, not just the public, but your own family doesn't understand what you do. The public doesn't recognize what you do. And, and it's just really, it adds to, to the stress, to the depression, to the anxiety. And it just, it ends up really, really bad. Yeah. That's, uh, yeah and, and that's, that's, that's one of the reasons why I think corrections needs to be included in a lot of, a uh, lot of things, because when you look at the 21st century policing report that was done by president Obama, and then you look at the new, uh, police do you do, do you do Obama's voice? No, nah, I can't do him, man. Okay, sorry to interrupt. Yeah, I can't do it. I wish I could do him. I'll work on him for you. Please uh, do. I could just stay silent for eight years. <laughs> I thought we didn't do politics on oh, your show. Fuck. I'm going to have to edit that out. <laughs> yeah. um, but now now Trump has a new uh, police reform committee. And again, no representation from dispatchers or from corrections, which and on top of that, and this is what I'm talking about in my book, my next book, which won't be till next year, which is where we're repeating the same mistakes. I don't want to hear about police reform or the way that police should be doing their job from anybody from academia. Right. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear. That's great that you're a math. You've got six master's degrees, that you're a professor in Harvard Law. Great. Fantastic. Take that and use that towards judicial reform. I don't want to hear you tell me how to do my fucking job at three o'clock in the morning with a guy that just bludgeoned his wife to death. Right. You're going to tell me how to do my job. Right. From the comfort of your office. You don't learn to do that shit in a textbook. You no. You can't do it. I want to see 25, 30 year veterans, a motor officer, a corrections officer, knuckle draggers that have scars and injuries on their bodies um, from battles in the jail and on the street, I'll listen to them. Put one of those, one or two of those on your committee, and then I'll listen to you. But I think that we're repeating the same mistakes, which is, is police reform is more what the, the public is telling us what needs to be done, but they don't come out on a ride along, that they don't come and visit the police stations and even know what the police do. Like you remember when Ferguson happened, when the riots were happening, they wanted to they they got rid of all the tanks. Like that was the big thing: tanks, 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 tanks. Well, until a school shooting happens, right. how the fuck do you think we're getting your kids out of there? Right. <laughs> our Crown Vicks and our fucking Ford Explorers—they aren't bulletproof. Right. So we aren't coming. So the tanks are why we why, the reason why we have tanks. So I went on a tangent there, but listen, we're going to take another break. We're going to come back from the break and then Bill and I are going to do something pretty cool. All right. All right, folks, hang in there and we'll be right back.
on a jailbreak. Got no time for a mistake. Hey folks, I'm so excited about this brand new sponsor, Ferocious Beard Company. This company is fantastic. They have a lot of great assortments of beard wax, wash, and oils. They've got apparel, they've got soaps, they've got a whole bunch of different things. Go to ferociousbeard.com, use promo code ROLLCALLROOM, and you get 20% off. I absolutely love their products. I'm telling you, I've used a lot of different beard products. Mike and I have been searching for a beard company for a long time as a sponsor, and we finally found the best company out there, which is Ferocious Beard Company. And they're out of uh, Fort Worth, Texas. Okay. Go on ferociousbeard.com, use promo code Roll Call Room, and you get 20% off. of mine on murder and the judge's gavel fell jury found him guilty even 16 years in hell All right, folks. We are back from break. Uh, so on break, uh, Bill was saying I should be uh, I should be a DJ, and uh, I told him I said, you know, before I started doing podcasts, I actually had a DJ company, and I used to do weddings and Sweet Sixteen and shit. <laughs> and dude, I had this funny story. Um, this so it comes time for toast. Everybody that does toast at weddings thinks that they're funny, and they're <laughs> they're not. Yeah, just get in there, get your shit done, and get the fuck out. Like, don't try and be funny, because when you're writing it, you're the funniest person in the room, because right. you're by yourself. In front of 150 people, you're not funny. Best best man does the speech, and proceeds to turn around and tell everybody that, unbeknownst to it, to his buddy who's the b- groom, he had a relationship with the bride. And slept with her. Yeah, it's not funny. No. And I had to be like, I had to turn around and I had to do like one of these where I was like, uh, I just, I, I've turned around and I've like played music. And I was like, all right, ladies and gentlemen, big round of applause for Jim. Jim, great speech. Uh, I'd like to say congratulations to my best friend. And I, uh, I know you enjoy her because I enjoyed her when I fucked her too. It was great. Thank you very yeah. much. It started out great. It was like, it was like, hey, um, I just want to say, you know, these two, uh, you know, when they first started going out, uh, it was the greatest. I've never seen Jim so happy. Uh, you know, he <laughs> was so carefree, and you know, uh, he just looked in her eyes, and he knew. Kind of like, uh, well, you know, I never told you this. Uh, you know, like about six months before you started dating her, I. Uh, I was dating her. Well, I wasn't really dating with her. I would, I would slept with her like at least like four or five times. And I'm just like, all right, ladies and gentlemen, big round of applause for Sam. Time to cut the cake. Yeah. Sure. That was, uh, that would have been, uh, that would have been terrible. Uh, it was funny though. Like I wanted to let it go. Like I looked around and I was like, somebody should do something. And then I was, and I realized that somebody is me. And I was like, all right, I'll end this, even though it's funny.
Yeah. That's our that's know. our sense of humor. Right. So, all right. Here's the deal, folks. We can never do a serious episode. We have to we have to end on a funny note, kind of, or at least try. Just like the best man. Nick, you know, before you got together with uh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Let me get so, I wrote my speech. Uh yeah, yeah. Uh it was really funny when you wrote it, right? Your um, your podcast is fun. People think your podcast is funny. I think your podcast is funny. And and yeah, I do. And then some and and I try to be, you know, I I don't know if I consider myself funny or not, but I try to be. But but now that you just said that best man thing, I think maybe I maybe maybe I'm not funny. Maybe I'm like the the fat guy in American Idol that goes on and can't sing for shit. No, no, I think you're good. I think (laughs) your your short videos are fucking hilarious. (laughs) Well, thank you. You did one for us that was fucking. I was dying. (laughs) I was like in a restaurant when I watched that, and I was dying. I was like, this is hilarious, dude. I'm like, you're going to post this, right? If you're not, I am. Right, right, right. Um, so here's the deal. Uh, I had told Bill, I said, hey, listen, before you come on the show, uh, we're going to get vulnerable. I want you to make a list of five embarrassing movies or five movies that you're embarrassed to say that you actually like. So start from your lowest one, and we'll work up to the top. So you'll go, then I'll go, and then we'll go back and forth. It's re- it's re- it's really hard to come up with an embar- as a as a forty two year old correctional officer. Really, you know what I mean. But but uh, so one of the movies that I'm embarrassed of that I uh, that I like is um, is now back on Netflix, and I'm excited about it. Is, is uh, Clueless with Alicia Silverstone? Oh, I don't really like that movie. Everybody liked that movie. I, I'm not a fan of it. I think I liked it because of the Aerosmith videos that she was in back in the day. Yeah, yeah. But it's her. Right. Where is she now? I, I don't care. She's on Netflix forever for me now. Oh, okay. I don't know if she's doing anything. I don't think I don't think she is. I think she retired. Um yeah, I think she retired. But I love Clueless. Oh. When I see it on, I gotta I gotta watch it. All right, so my first one is Sweet Home Alabama. Uh, Reese Witherspoon? Reese Witherspoon, before I knew that she did not like the police. Um, so, If she's hot enough, does it matter? Is she really hot, though? She's got a big forehead. She, she looks like she's, that guy from... She's jail hot. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, I I, I like... I just like the storyline. Um, sure. Yeah. And plus, what's his name that's in it? The guy? He's he's hot, too, you yum, think? Yum E. Nice. <laughs> Your turn. Okay, let's see here. Um, I got a couple that are kind of tied. Uh, one of the movies that I... And, and I actually cry when I watch this movie. And I've and I've gone to see it uh, on stage as well. Uh, Steel Magnolias with uh, Julia Roberts. I've never seen that. Oh, my gosh. Don't... Uh, if you're uh, a crybaby like me... Um, then, then watch it. It's, uh, it takes place in the South. Mm-hmm. These, uh, these, uh, I think I can't remember who's all in it, but these girls get together and then the, the, the daughter gets sick and it's a, it's a whole thing, but it's very, yeah, it's, it's very sad. Well, that leads me to my number four, which is a walk to remember. Have you seen that? Is that, uh, Jessica Simpson in there? That's, um, uh, Mandy Moore. Mandy Moore. That's right. Same. She's yeah, same thing. Yeah. Sad. Is man. that when, when she I'm, has can? Does she have cancer? In that? Yeah. That's terrible. Yeah. I. I still. 
I still, that gets me every time, man, when they're like walking and they're like in the alleyway and she's like, I'm sick. And he's like, I'm going to take you home. And she's like, taking me home is not going to do it. Right. Like, I'm dying. Right. And I was like, fuck. And he's making the telescope. Fuck. It's a bad movie, man. Shit. Yeah. Ah, I just got why, are, why do we do this to ourselves? I don't know. I'm more ashamed that it affects me in that way. Well, there's a whole, there's, listen, there's some psychology behind why it affects you that way. You know that. Yeah. Right? Well, a lot of it is the medication. Too. Right. <laughs> I just sit and watch YouTube videos of kittens and then I just sit there and just cry. I'm just like, this is my life now. This is what I do. I make podcasts and I, I stuff envelopes with my book. That's what I, that's what I do. <laughs> and watch a walk to remember in the back. I'm going to watch that tonight. I hope you do. I hope. All right. Your number, uh, your number three. Okay. My number three is, um, is one of my probably top, top five movies of all time. Um, starring Patrick Swayze and Jennifer gray. And it's dirty dancing. Dirty dancing. I fucking love dirty dancing. Dirty dancing. Yeah. There's a, there's a, yeah, the whole thing. Um, you know, when Robbie knocks up the chick and they got it, she has an abortion and it's bought, I mean the whole thing, I, nobody puts, corner. nobody puts baby in a corner and you know, I got a funny, I got a not so funny story, but that, those were my mom's last words when she died. Oh. Yeah. But because my mom loved Patrick Swayze that much, but, uh, dirty dancing is, and I, and I dance a little bit when I watch it and I, you know, I just, I love it. It's a great show. Yeah. Well, they're making go. They're making um. They're making Dirty Dancing too. I, you know, don't they have like Havana Nights or something? Dirty Dan. I won't watch it. No, I won't watch it. I'll watch the new Top Gun. Are you going to? Dude, it's with Tom Cruise is in it. Mm, I'm not a sequel guy. Really? I can't do it. My and I'll we'll get to my number I, my number one most embarrassed and I'll explain the sequel thing. But when I get to my number one, um, but yeah, I can't do sequels. Really? Ghostbusters, I could do Ghostbusters sequel. That was good. Yeah. But I won't watch the new Ghostbusters with the with no. the gals. All female cast? I did you know you you know the reason why I didn't watch it strictly because you're sexist. <laughs> <laughs> nope. <laughs> I got I got two daughters. Oh, okay. Check, check mark. <laughs> um uh I didn't like it because they tried to capitalize on the Me Too movement and that uh I don't like that shit. I don't like movies that are driven from like political agenda. Like that was strictly revamping Ghostbusters and saying we can make an all female cast and make it successful. Oh, absolutely. hundred percent. It, it was not. In fact, was, that trailer, that YouTube trailer is the most disliked trailer on YouTube. I believe still. Yeah. Yeah. It's terrible. It surprised me. I, I did not like that. Um, so speaking of Patrick Swayze, my th- third we're on our third right i don't know yeah third um is ghost love ghost love ghost um i like it like that's when that's before whippy goldberg was fucking insane correct um and um you know i love that movie uh i remember watching that movie when i was younger and being like it's his friend there's no greater love story than ghost yeah i want to i want to find somebody like that like like I want a ghost. Like Whoopi Goldberg, you want Whoopi Goldberg, or you want Patrick Swayze to haunt Whoopi Goldberg and come around you? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're weird, dude. Mm-hmm. I'm into the freakiest shit, dude. Like I don't know. I want that's I, that's pretty wild. 
Have you ever have you ever uh, gone ghost hunting? Have you ever done a, a uh, no, I'll be honest with you, man. I, I'm I'm deathly afraid of haunted houses and shit. I'll play you some stuff sometime. I used to do that. Uh, I was petrified of the movie It when I was a kid. Sure. And The Exorcist. Cause, that great movie. Dude, I still can't watch it. It's a fantastic movie. I watched that. My aunt made me watch that when I was eight years old. Scared the fucking shit out of me. Yeah. The book's even worse than the movie. But yeah, The Exorcist, ter- great, fantastic movie. Nope. You know what I watched the other day? I watched Poltergeist the other day. Uh, I hadn't watched that in a long time. And that, that I got chills right away with that one, too. Have you seen the new It? I have. I've watched both of them. Yeah. My daughter loves them. I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan of Stephen King. And, and I liked the, I liked, I thought they were good movies. I mean, I, I, uh, I'm more of a psychological thriller, like where's the noise coming from? Or like normal guy is like stalking, killing people. But I, I did like it. I did like him. Yeah. You know something? I didn't watch the shining mm. until fairly recently. Mm. And, um, didn't do it for me, man. Like, other than the the old lady in the bathtub, that was the only scary thing in the whole movie. The girls, the twins holding hands, come play with us, Danny, forever. No, no, that didn't freak me out. Mm. But the old lady, that freaked me out. Yeah, that was like, that was gross. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't like that. She didn't look good. No, she didn't. Skin slip. She'd been in that apartment for ten days, no air conditioner, middle of oh, June. Yeah. yeah, that's bad. That's legit. Yeah, that's legit. What it looks like. You don't get that smell off your clothes. No, you just don't. Oh, you're firm in that, no, bro. No, not eating Chipotle in that crunch. <laughs> On the way home from it, you will, but not during it. Yes, <laughs> folks. If you don't think, at least I can say it now. There were many, many times when I would door dash to the apartment that I was babysitting the DOA because I was waiting for the ME body removal people, and they would usually take four or five hours. I would door dash Chipotle to that person's apartment and meet them at the door and eat my, my fucking Chipotle in their apartment while I was doing their doing the report for the dead body. It, ha- That's it, it happens. Yeah, it happens. You know, you don't think about that stuff when you're doing it. You know, you're just like, oh, I got to eat. No, I, I, gotta know, eat. I had a I had a situation, similar situation where I was like I was doing that. I was eating and then I'm like, I'm that fucking guy. I'm the I'm the guy in the movies that's like, let me get a cheeseburger while the you know the people are laying dead in the corner, you know. But whatever, I was hungry. So, <laughs> all right, what's your number? Uh, what's your number two? Well, my my number two is 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 not necessarily a movie. My number two is is a TV show. So I apologize for that. But uh, I loved I loved Beverly Hills nine hundred two one zero growing up. Uh, I watch it all the time. And when it's on TV now as a, as reruns, I try to watch it. Do you? I love it. Mm. Sorry. I love it. Mm, I got, mm, that changes a little bit of my opinion. Of well, you. you know, fuck it. Who cares? I just told you I stood in a room eating in front of a dead body and that you didn't care about that. But, but I watch, but I watch uh, 90210. That was a serious show. Yeah, sure it was. So was Melrose Place. Real I didn't stunning. watch. I didn't watch Melrose. Like, like, what's that other one? Baywatch. I never watched Baywatch. I didn't watch Baywatch. Did you watch Not Friends? Like oh fuck! Did I? There you go. Friends, bro. Love. Bro, Friends is so relevant. It's still relevant today. It's still relevant. When fucking Netflix took that shit off, I legitimately was researching where the CEO of Netflix lives because I was fucking pissed. Um, I'm still pissed about that. You, sh- but- you should be. It's on uh, it's on regular TV, but um, 
Yeah, it's good. I watch it. I think it's like TBS or something. Can we say stations on the show? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Nobody's doing us. Yeah. Um, so my number two is Father of the Bride. Uh, Steve Martin? There you go. Nice. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I guess it's because I have I have daughters. Yeah, but that's uh, a comedy, dude. Steve Martin's club. Why do you got to be embarrassed like Steve Martin? Dude, it's really a kind of a heart. You know, like a like it's a rough one, bro. Yeah. Like it's like, yeah, it's like it kind of walks you through like giving your daughter away, and like you look at her as still like a little girl, and then this guy comes along and fucking like like you got to hand him off right. and no, like I got two girls, one's about to be eighteen. Like I don't know, that shit hits me. There's a there's a having a daughter is crazy, man. There's a soup there's a stupid Subaru car commercial. Where the dad's cleaning out the car and the little girl's dancing in the yard. I fucking cry like a baby every time I see that. Yeah, that one fucking gets me, man. Every time. Dude, I made the mistake of doing an episode with my two girls. Oh, man. Dude, and the stuff that they said, like, um, I still can't listen to that episode again because I thought that the stuff that I was doing, that they, like, I was trying to protect them from things that I was doing on the job. Right to hear them say that they knew about it all along right that was that was a tough pill to swallow bro that was a really really tough one but i'm glad that i did um so now my daughter does like promos for i was gonna ask if that's your well is that your daughter doing your promo yes nice yeah the dude it was hilarious because she sits right across in the studio she sits right across and i don't let my kids curse go figure oh yeah it's a shit unless you're a shit bag steve she says yeah yeah and she, i was like i really want you to let it rip and she's like dad and i was like let it go like let it fly and the show that fucked my dad or something yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the new new promo bro from like we just put a new new promo out at the end she goes fuck your ass commanders oh yeah and yeah I'm, that's right yep yep fuck and she ad-libbed that i didn't even put that on the script wow does she does she want to work in law enforcement because she's got the attitude it sounds like i won't let her do it yeah don't Uh, let her do it make her do something good yeah go federal if anything something like be real law enforcement do something i can work on a case for nine months and then put on that fucking uh that light light jacket with your logo on the breast and your agency on the back and uh, fucking run up to the house and knock on the door with your warrant and be like, look at all my hard work for the last nine months. <laughs> I'm here for all your financials. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they work hard. I don't know. I know. I, know. I don't know. Um, I just lost all of my federal law enforcement friends. <laughs> no, they're probably still listening, but it's because they, they've been told uh, to listen to you. Man. Yeah. Fuck you. Fuck you. Hey, I, uh. Hey, Jim, I think Nick just said something about us. We got to, uh, did you put, record that? No, I didn't record that. I was out getting Chipotle. Oh, you motherfucker. Just, I mean, if you're looking for somebody get Jody Foster in here, I think we got a problem. <laughs> Silence of the land. There you go. It's very good reference. Mm-hmm. Bottle of candy. <laughs> Would you? Would you? Don't you hurt my fucking dog. <laughs> you do a good, Would- you do a good Buffalo Bill. That's good. Is she a big fat lady? Could you help me get this couch in? What? Uh, what's your, What's your number one? Okay, bud? so my number one most embarrassing movie is also my number one most favorite movie of all time. So if if you were to, if you were to put a a, a gun to my head and say, look, you could only watch, I'm going to blow your brains out, but one more movie, you can watch one more movie, then I'm going to kill you. What movie would it be? And I would I would watch 
Greece with John Travolta, Olivia Newton-John. I would watch it. I love it. I know all the words. I know all the songs. Um, I used to have people over in high school to watch it and, yeah. and do it. I love it. Well, <clears throat> for me, the most embarrassing one that I'm willing to admit is The Notebook. Oh, see, I've never seen that. <gasps> what? I, won't, I don't think I will. Why? Um, because it's referenced. Because honestly, it's re- it's referenced so much in in pop culture. Uh, the Notebook, the Notebook. That I I don't know. Should I watch it? I think you should watch it. I think you should watch it and then discuss how it affected you. I'm telling you right now, it's going to fucking change your world. It may bro. it may push me over the edge. It might not change your world, but I'm telling you right now, if you like the walk to remember, you would like the notebook because it's a tearjerker. I'm a crier. There's a twist to it. I like twists. Uh, dude, there's a twist to it. I'm just telling you that. To the notebook. And, 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 and an honorable mention we talked about at the beginning of this episode is Hamilton. I love Hamilton. Ah, uh, dude, I, I, I love it. I, I'm, I just I love it. I love the success story behind the scenes about Lin-Manuel being a a substitute teacher in New York City and being like, should I continue my uh, substitute teacher getting paid nothing or try and pursue this? And uh, Disney paid him thirty two million dollars for that. No shit. Thirty two. So I uh, so I I watched it. I, I I didn't watch it for a long time um, just because. And then it was uh, on Disney Plus and I got Disney Plus. And I as a, I, I love music. I'm a lover of music. I, I was a big hip hop person back in, you know, in the late 80s, early 90s when it was good. And uh, I was amazed on how well written that was. And I, and I cried at the end. It was it was an emotional roller coaster. I love Hamilton. If if Hamilton stands the test of time, and uh, I watch it a few more times, it may replace Grease as my favorite musical of all time. Really? Yeah. How about Rent? Have you ever seen Rent? <sighs> I tried to get into it, but I just I just couldn't. I don't know. No. no. Yeah, I'm a big Rent fan. I like. Rent. Are you? I'll, maybe I'll give it another shot. Is this uh? Is this notebook here? Is it got a weird guy on it? Can you see that? Yeah, yeah, the top left-hand okay. guy. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so I'm going to put it it says two young lovers are torn apart by war and class differences in the 40s. Yes. All right, I'm going to put it on my list. Dude, I'm telling you it's going to change your world. Also, uh, a walk to remember is on there too. Do it. Do it. Netflix is not fucking around, dude. And clueless. Look at we're all this is like this is terrible. It's like they know us. You ever ashamed of your Netflix suggestions? Well, yeah, because here's the thing. When I, I spend more time putting things on my list in Netflix than I do actually watching Netflix. Like I'll sit for hours like, oh, I'm going to watch that shit. Oh, I'm going to watch that shit. And then I'll go. Yeah, it is. It's like it's like having a one night stand because I'll go back the next time I'm sitting down to watch Netflix. I'm like, why did I put that in my list? I don't I'm not I'm never going to watch that. Well, I'll, t- I'll tell you until we figured out. Well, not we. My kids figured out that you can create different profiles in Netflix. <laughs> Every time I would go on Netflix, my suggestion shit was based around what my kids were watching. Right. It was fucking my algorithm up because I'd ha- I'd have like one manly movie and like 16 fucking tearjerker movies or teeny bop movies. And I would be like, listen, you guys got to get your own fucking profile. I can't, <laughs> have this shit. I can't. I can't. I want my Rambo 
I want my fucking, you know, take back the White House 16 or whatever they're up to, taken 16 or whatever. Did you- At some point. Liam Neeson has to realize he's a bad dad. I couldn't watch Take It. I started watching, but I couldn't watch what? it. Wow, it's, so, it's such a scary thing. I watched right when the daughter, right when they snatch her from the apartment, yeah. and I'm like, I don't know if I can get through this because that because human trafficking is real shit. I mean, that's like that's like scary, scary Wayfair. shit. Yeah, it's that Wayfair thing is fucking. Oh man, up. yeah, I can't, I can't, so I can't do it. I mean, anything about like kids disappearing. Or mm-hmm. or the sex traffic. I just can't do it, man. I can't bring myself to even watch fictional stuff on it. Yeah, that's scary, dude. All right, folks. Listen, that's gonna um that's gonna wrap it up for this episode of the Roll Call Room. I want to thank Bill again, William Young. Thanks for having uh, me on, buddy. Oh, we gotta do this definitely again. Absolutely. Uh so show is on uh nine central time. Central Standard Time, nine PM Saturday nights, Saturday night synopsis. And that's on Facebook Live. Facebook Live. And his book is called When Home Becomes a Housing and it's available on Amazon. All right. And look out for his other book um in the near future, right? Yep, September, middle of September. All right, folks, uh, if you need to get a hold of uh, me, you can reach me at nick at rollcallroom.com. Go on um, go on rollcallroom.com. Again, uh, Police Mental Barricade is up for sale on Amazon and on our site. So thank you, guys. Take good care of each other, all right? 